All right, if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 John chapter 2. I hope everybody's comfortable now. I don't like to be too hot. I don't like to be too cold. I just like to be lukewarm. That's not even scriptural, is it? Amen. But um, appreciate you being here tonight. And uh, I believe that uh, it'd be the perfect will of God for us to take on Brother Tyler since he was saved through this church and since uh, this church has had a big part in his life. And I propose that we support him $100 a month for the next six months, starting in June. So all in favor of that, say amen. amen. Opposed? Okay. I'm going to say, of course not. But <clears throat> tonight, uh, the reason that we ought to take on more missionaries, and we just had to drop one because of sin, and the devil's targeting missionary homes and families and marriages just like he's targeting yours. And the reason is, I believe he's intensifying his effort because he knows his time is limited. I believe we're in the very last days. And that brings me to our text, uh, 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. We went over this last week, had a great time preaching on the Antichrist and the Antichrist spirit. But the Bible says in verse 18, little children, it is the last time, as ye have heard that the Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists whereby we know that it's the last times. Now the spirit of Antichrist is, is simply this. It's cults like the Jehovah Witnesses, Mormons, that believe in um, that Jesus is not the Son of God. They don't believe in the deity of Christ as we do. And uh, in the last days there will be many seducing spirits. Look at verse 19. This is just review. Verse 19 says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. And that doesn't mean they just left the church. It means they left the doctrine of the church. They left the word of God. Look at verse 20. This is a wonderful promise. It says, but ye have an unction from the Holy Ghost, or the Holy One, and He's the Holy Ghost too, and ye know all things. That doesn't mean that you have these prophecies um, like these TV evangelists. I heard the, yesterday morning... Uh, Brother Davies was preaching. He's telling that Clef Old Dollar, and he quoted him, said that he was, a, was God and that all his followers could be gods. And I mean, that's just, just blatant uh, blasphemy. Tried to raise $69 million for him, a private jet, uh, just a few years ago. And uh, uh, here, here it is. He's, he's preaching that uh, you can become God. Sounds like Mormonism to me. Uh, not, not some TV evangelist that named Cleft Old Dollar. But there's many spirits like that. And you'll look at his uh, TV following, there'll be millions that'll watch him every Sunday. And there'll be thousands that'll meet in his quote-unquote church. And he th I think he has two of them, one in California, one in, uh, on the East Coast, and that's why he needs his jet so he can fly back and forth. He's God, he don't even need a jet. Amen? He just fly by himself. Anyway, uh, that's the spirit of the Antichrist. It's, uh, you know, the men's deified and God is low-rated. And God's put down on manageable terms of just being a created being. Folks, He's more than a created being. He is the I am, not the I was or I'm going to be. Look at verse 21. I have not written unto you because you know not the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie, and no lie is of the truth. And the father of all lies, John 8, 44, is the devil. Verse 22, still reviewing. Who is a liar and he and a denier that, that Jesus is the Christ? There it is. There's the bottom line. 
He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son, and that's being one. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father, but he that acknowledges the Son hath the Father also. Let that therefore abide in you. I want you to underline the word abide. That ought to be the key word for your Christian life. It's not willing and dealing, it's abiding. Abiding in the Word, abiding in the Spirit. That means in fellowship. Chapter 1 and 2 is all about fellowship. We say that we have fellowship when we have sin or life. We're, we're a liar. Uh, we say that we have not sinned. Uh, we make God a liar. And we walk in the light as He's in the light. We have fellowship one with another because the blood of Jesus cleanses from all sin. And I like First uh, John 1, 9 says we'll confess our sin. I don't mean just call it. That means see it as God sees it. Judge it as God judges it. It means, uh, it means um, realizing that sin put Jesus on the cross and there's no little sin. All sin separates you from the fellowship of God. In the last days, you don't want to be out of fellowship. We need to be in fellowship. And we need to be, uh, have an unction of the Spirit of God to teach us and say amen when somebody teaches the truth. Look at verse 24. Let that therefore abide in you which ye have heard from the beginning. If that which ye have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, ye also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. The only way to be faithful is in the Son and the Father. Look at this. Still haven't got to my text. And this is the promise that he hath promised us even eternal life. I want you to stop right there and say amen. You have eternal life. Has that dawned on you lately? You're going to live forever. Everybody's going to live forever, but you're going to live forever in heaven and not hell if you're saved. That's a real difference there. Say amen. And I'll tell you something, friend. There's two topics, and I'm preaching on one of them tonight that uh, preachers don't preach enough on, and that's the second coming. I'm going to deal with that tonight. And hell. It ought to be preached often. Jesus preached on hell 13 times. It's mentioned in the Bible 87 times. Hell's a real place. And if hell's not real, then the Bible's not real. If hell's not real, Jesus' not real. And so, folks, when you think about the last days, you ought to think about you're saved. And you shouldn't be threatened by the undertaker, and you ought to be looking for the uppertaker. Amen? You're saved. You're going to soon be with him. I don't believe that the Lord's going to tarry long. I really don't believe that. I believe that he's coming and he's hot. People killing babies, uh, trying to change their... Uh, uh, sex, um, defaming marriage, men with men, women with women, working that which is unseemly. Folks, I, I, I believe this is, 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 is disgusting to God. The Bible says it's an abomination to God. It stinks in his nostrils. And folks, I want to tell you something. He's not just going to turn his head forever. If he doesn't judge America, he's going to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Because folks, I want to tell you something. The United States is just as bad. Just as bad. Matter of fact, we have laws to protect the sodomites. That's sad. And we're going to meet tomorrow. And, you know, we've heightened security just so it'll be safe. It's pathetic. It's pathetic. The day and age we live in is prophetic, though. Jesus is coming soon. Iniquity shall abound. And folks, I want to tell you something. You better get ready. And the way to get ready is abide. Abide. Look at it. And be thankful for salvation. These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. Now you know what a seduction is. A seduction is one that takes advantage of your immaturity. 
You're just like a child. That's why the Bible deals a lot with fathers, sons, and children in verse 12 and 13 and 14 of this chapter. We preached a message on spiritual maturity. You should be so mature that you you don't get seduced by the spirit of Antichrist in these cults and false prophets that are multiplying around the United States of America. If you think it's bad here, you ought to go overseas. It's really cultic. Um, You can go in these places like uh, Brother Tyler's thinking about going to Thailand or Taiwan, one of the two. And they're both just demon-possessed. I mean, it's it's a terrible place. Uh, In China, they're kicking out their missionaries. In South Africa, they won't renew the visas. The devil's trying to get a foothold. They're using people in high places. We need to pray a fence around them. We need to pray a hedge around them. But we need to pray for America. Because America is, 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 is shaking their fist at God and saying, I don't need you, God. Well, we do need God. Look at this. It says, but the anointing which ye have. Here we go. We get some new material here. Our new, we're covering some new territory in this verse-by-verse study of 1 John. But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you. That's the, that, that is the Holy Spirit. That's the anointing. Received of him abideth in you, and ye need not any man teach you. If you'll t- notice the verb teach you, it means you don't need to be taught all the time and be persuaded by every slight of doctrine and every slight of man and every uh, wind of doctrine, you can know what you believe. And the Bible says, but at the same anointing teaches you all things and is, and is truth and is no lie. And even as he hath taught you, you shall abide in him. Use that word again, abide in him. Now here's my text tonight. It says, and now little children, abide in him. There it is again. That when he shall appear, When he shall appear, that's the rapture. When he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that that he is righteous, you know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. So he sums up this whole section on how to discern whether a person is real or not. It's by their fruit, the fruit of righteousness, the fruit of holiness. And you abide in Him, and you bring forth much fruit. If you're abiding in Him, there's no doubt to the lost and dying world that you're a Christian in these last days. Now don't straddle the fence, and don't be wishy-washy, and don't compromise, and be separate, and, 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 and not isolated, but go to the center with a difference, and that's abiding. I want to preach just a few minutes on the judgments. The judgments. There's five judgments. There's three thrones. Uh, Our cult across the street, the Pratts, believe in general resurrection. And that's so unbiblical, uh, and I'll prove it in just a minute by going through this eschatology or the study of the last days. And folks, uh, we need to see that there's several resurrections, and there's three thrones, and there's five judgments. And you need to get ready for the judgment seat of Christ. So let's pray and we'll get right into verse, verse, 1 John chapter 2, verse 28. Father, thank you so much for the prayer meeting. We do pray, dear God, for the special needs. And those special needs are those that are backslidden, those that are, uh, Lord, have no homes like Tyler didn't have a home for many years, wrecked with sin and addiction. 
What a sad way for two little boys to be raised in addiction. And dear God, I pray that you'd help him as he shares with those young people uh, his testimony and preaches to them. And Lord, use this message on these last days. God, may we be ready for the judgment of believers, the judgment seat of Christ. And we'll praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to notice this verse, and now little children, that's faith. Abide in Him, that's essential for you to have fellowship. That when He shall appear, that is the rapture. We may have confidence and not be ashamed before Him at His coming. That's the coming in the air. That's the judgment seat of Christ. That's the rapture. And folks, there's going to be a judgment of your works. It's not sin. Put that first slide up, brother. And I want you to see some judgments um, in the Word of God. Uh, you, you, need to, you need to realize that, folks, God uh, has everything mapped out chronologically in the book of Revelation. It takes place as it's going to take place. Revelation 1 comes forward 2, and 2 before 3. Matter of fact, there will be no uh, uh, problem about it. In Revelation 4, the church comes up hither, and you don't go a day in the tribulation. So that means we're pre-trib around here and pre-millennial. And folks, he's not going to beat up his bride three and a half years and then rapture us up. That wouldn't be much of a honeymoon, say amen. We're out of here in a twinkling of an eye, and we're going to be changed. But I want to tell you something, at the judgment seat of Christ, we're all going to face the judgment seat of Christ at the same time. And folks, it, it's an awesome fear that ought to be in your, in your life. Look, look at 2 Corinthians. I want to show you two verses before we get into this study. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. This might take two weeks, but I'm going to take my time. The Bible says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.10. That everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that which he has done, whether it be good or bad. Now, folks, the Bible says that you're going to have a manifestation of that. I'll go to 1 Corinthians 3 and give you the criteria for what you're going to be judged about. But, folks, I want to tell you something. There, uh, the, 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 the common opinion that we're just going to have a general resurrection um, uh, after the millennial, and it's a general resurrection, a general judgment, is not scriptural. The general judgment, because the scripture speaks of one judgment as being in the air, another judgment is going to be on the earth, and another judgment is going to be in heaven. The earth and its atmosphere having fled away, the Bible says in Revelation 20, 11 through 15. Uh, there's different thrones. The judgment seat of Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, 10, is in the air, and it's for believers. There's a throne of glory. Uh, that's on earth. That's for the nations and how they treat Israel. Thank God our president might not be on track on a lot of things, but he's on track about how he treats Israel. Amen. He's for Israel. Thank God. I don't know where he got that, but thank God he got it. Amen. Maybe he got it from Vice President uh, Spence after he got saved. But um, the, then there's another throne, the great white throne judgment. That's in heaven. So there's th that's for the wicked dead. That's for the lost. So there's a different judgment for the saved than the lost. You're not going to be at the great white throne judgment uh, except as a spectator and you'll cry because you didn't witness some of those people who's going to be cast back into hell. That's the second death. That's the second resurrection. And they're going to be brought up from Hades or the awaiting place and cast down into hell. It's like 
going to jail and then going to prison. But it's all hell. I mean, it's, it's terrible. It's separation from God. And so I want to go over these judgments. But here's, here's my question to you. Revelation 21.4, why is there tears in heaven? And how long does those tears last in heaven? Look at Revelation 21.4. Somebody said, there'll be no crying in heaven. Oh, yes, they will. There'll be some crying in heaven for 1,007 years. I'll prove it scripturally. Look at Revelation 21.4. And God shall wipe away all the tears from their eyes. Now, folks, if there ain't no tears, why is he wiping them away? There is tears. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. So I want to get into these judgments. I want you to realize, number one judgment is uh, believers for sin. Your sin has been judged. That's past tense, amen? Uh, the, the believer's sin has been judged. It happened about A.D. 30. It happened at Calvary. The greatest offering that ever was offered on this earth was the Lamb of God. The greatest altar that's ever been erected was Calvary on a hill called Mount Calvary. Say amen. And the greatest blood and the most perfect blood and the only perfect blood that was shed for the remission of sin was the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. And so folks, thank God the basis of this judgment is that it is finished. It's a finished work. The result's death as to Christ, justification to the believer. At this judgment, Christ takes your sin. Sin comes on him. He's not, he, he didn't sin, but sin came on him as an offering. And justification uh, is our blessing from this judgment. The Bible says that we're justified just if I'd never sinned. And as though I'd always been righteous. That's justification. So this judgment is passed. The Bible proof is results uh, of this judgment is Romans 10, 4. Would you read that with me? We're going to take our time now and study. By the way, I got a verse for every cult in America, Romans 4, 5. But let's look at Romans, what did I say? Romans 10, 4, okay? Romans 10, 4. Sometimes I ask questions to see if you're listening. Amen? Sometimes I ask questions to see if I'm listening. Amen? Romans chapter 10, verse 4, real quick. The Bible says, oh, real slow, it don't matter. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Did you hear that? Didn't say everybody keeps Ten Commandments. Didn't say everybody climbed the ladder. Didn't say every good word. Didn't say you go out and go on a mission for two years and do without uh, your family and, and go do this and go do that. It said that Jesus Christ is your righteousness. It's imputed righteousness. It's transferred righteousness. Our sins were transferred to Him. His righteousness transferred to us. I don't call that a great deal. I call it a great gift. Salvation. Amen. Now let me give you a, a verse for every cult. This is a cult buster. Who are you going to call? The cult, cult buster. Amen. That's whirly. But look at this. Romans chapter 4, verse 5. You know, I can't get some of y'all to smile one time during any message. So I'm going to stop crying. Amen. It's just, you just go ahead and look sad if you want to. I'm going to enjoy myself. Uh, Romans chapter 4 and verse 5, please. Um, I tell you, a smile and encourage a person. A nod of the head coming back up really encourages a person. If you look like you're bored silly, it'll discourage a person. But I'm not looking. Look at this, 4-5. Here it is, 4-5. Cult buster. But to him that worketh not, that's cult buster. All cults are based on works. 
Amen. Look at this. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justified the ungodly. You was ungodly when you got saved. Dead in your sins and trespasses. Then it says this. His faith is counted for righteousness. Amen. Look at that first phrase. But to him that worketh not. Folks, baptism is a work, Church of Christ. Uh, taking the Lord's Supper is a work. Amen? Going out knocking on doors every day is a work. And they believe that it's going to save them. That's why Mormons are so faithful. I'd like to tell the Baptists once in a while that you're not saved unless you go knock on doors. But that would be a false doctrine. You knock on doors because you're grateful. You knock on doors because you're burdened. You knock on doors because it changed your life. Amen. Saved your soul by somebody bringing the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection to you. So I got to hurry. So, folks, listen, the Bible says in Romans 8, 1 and 2, there is therefore now no condemnation, no judgment to them, Romans 8, 1 and 2, to them which are in Christ Jesus. Did you hear that? Not in the church, not in the baptistry, not in the cult working, not in the church uh, being a good Baptist. You can bust hell wide open being a good Baptist. Because good Baptist ain't good enough. You need the good Lord to take your sins and wash them away. Look at this. It says, in Christ Jesus, who walked not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free. From the law of sin and death. Bible says in John 5, 24, one of my favorite verses to give people that are having doubts, think they lost their salvation. John 5, 24. Verily, verily. You know what that's saying? Truly, truly. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word. That's why preaching is so important. We're not going to have just a drama around here. We're not going to have just singing around here. Every time we open these doors, there's going to be preaching. Y'all want to sing and testify for an hour and a half? I'll preach for two hours, amen, uh, if I can hold out. If I dig more many ditches, ditches like I did last night, I ain't preaching for about 10 minutes. Woo! Thank God I'm a preacher. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth, listen, on him, not just about him, on him that sent me hath, what? Everlasting? Life. Look at this. And shall not come into condemnation. That's judgment. But it's passed from death unto life. That's resurrection. So folks, the believer's judgment for sin is passed. It's settled. It's, a done, it's done. The theme word for Mormons and Jehovah Witnesses and all the cults is do, 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 do. But I want to tell you something, friend. Our theme is done. Amen. Amen. Not that we're done, not that he's done, but the work is done. Amen? It is finished. And so the believer's judgment for sin is passed. It's settled. And the believer, the judgment of believers is threefold. As a sinner, we already talked about that, as a son, and as a servant. Let's go to the son. We're judged as a son. You know, the sinner accepts Christ as his personal savior. That settles the sin singular question. For our iniquities are laid on him, the Bible says in Isaiah 53, 5 and 6. Amen? But the sin question and the sins question 
are two different things. That's what chapter 1 and chapter 2 is about. Christ died on the cross to atone for sin. You know the only sin that will send you to hell? What is it? Unbelief. All the people say, oh, I believe this is the unpardonable sin. This is the unpardonable sin. This is the unpardonable sin. This is such a wicked sin, it's got to be the unpardonable sin. Killing my wife, that's an unpardonable sin. Or killing myself is unpardonable sin. No, it's not. The unpardonable sin is unbelief. Now, that might have led to that, those sins. But, folks, there's another judgment we need to, as a son. Christ died on the cross to atone for sin, paid the penalty of Adam's disobedience in the Garden of Eden. Sin is that tendency of mankind. It's the Adamic nature. It's natural depravity. We're born sinners. We do not get rid of that tendency by the new birth. We get a counteracting force. Amen? We get a, what we call a divine nature. There's two natures living inside of you. If you don't believe you've got two natures living inside of you, when's the last time you lost your temper? That was the old nature. When's the last time you cussed? That was the old nature. When's the last time you uh, was... Uh, griping and complaining and taking your wife for granted, that's the old nature. And so I want to tell you something, friend. If you don't have an old nature and you think the old nature has been eradicated like the church of God believes and that you can be baptized in the Holy Ghost and eradicate the old nature, then why do you have such a problem with sins and the flesh? Folks, he's, you're still there. Your old nature is still there. And there's got to be a judgment on that. We've become a dual personality, so old and new nature. That's why in Romans chapter 7, turn there, I have a message I preach often. I hadn't, I hadn't preached in about five years, but I need to pull it out again and preach it. Um, maybe I'll do it on the road or something so y'all won't be bored. But Romans chapter 7, I got a message called Get Out of Romans 7 and Get in Romans 8. Amen. Romans 7 is the flesh. Romans 7 is full with this word, I. You know the biggest problem you have? I. You know what the biggest problem you have? Flesh. We're all weak. If you give in to the flesh, you will, you, will, you will stay at home and never get out of the house. If you, give, if you give in to the flesh, you will sin. If you give in to the flesh, I'm going to tell you something, friend. You can do far worse things than you'd ever imagine you could ever do. The flesh is wicked. It's wretched and it's weak. Look at Romans chapter 7, please. And look at just the last few verses. This is Paul speaking or writing. He said in verse... Um, 15, for that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that I do, do not. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that is good. Now then, it is no more that, that I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. That's that sinful nature. Look at this. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For the will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. One of the greatest Christians wrote most of the New Testament is having a battle here. Look at this. For the good which I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now, if I do that, I would not. It is more that I that, I, that, I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a new law, that when I would do good, evil is present with me. That's an old nature. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind. We're in a warfare. And bringing me into captivity, the law of sin, which is in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am. He's not calling the divine nature wretched. He's calling the flesh wretched. He says, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? 
I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, and with the flesh the law of sin. But it doesn't stop there. Don't Just because there's a chapter, that just keeps preachers uh, from being too long-winded. But look at this. It says, there is therefore. Now therefore means you need to notice what, what was before. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And Romans 8 is the Spirit, the Spirit, the Spirit, the Spirit. So you can stay in Romans 7 and be an I, 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 flesh, or you can go into Romans 8, yielding, dying to self, and you can be full of the Spirit and overcome sin. Don't say you can't overcome sin. Say you won't overcome sin. Amen? And folks, I want to tell you something. These sins must be put away daily. How? Confession. My little children, look at the verse, first verse of John chapter, 1 John chapter 2. My little children, these things write unto you that you sin not. But if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he is the propitiation or the satisfying of God's judgment. And not for yours only, but for the sins of the whole world. And so folks, listen, if we confess our sins, 1 John 1, 9, he is faithful to forgive us of our sins. The Bible says that we need to uh, have a judgment as sons, and that's for unconfessed sin. We need to judge ourselves. You say, I'm tired of everybody else judging me. I understand. And usually it's somebody that's a hypocrite and they're looking for an excuse to follow. But I want to say this. You need to confess your sins, and that's judgment. You judge that you do wrong. And folks, you, then you uh, are spared from the chastening of the Lord. Hebrews 12, 6 says, Whom the Lord loveth, he scourging, chasteneth every son whom he receiveth. The Bible says this in 1 Corinthians 11. Write this down. 1 Corinthians 11. I'm trying to slow up because I get rebuked for going too fast every Wednesday night. Every Wednesday night. From the same person. But anyway, I'm trying to slow up. 1 Corinthians 11. She don't really rebuke me. She just takes good notes, and I appreciate it. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 31 and 32. 1 Corinthians 11, 31 32. The Bible says, if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. Isn't that good? So here's the second judgment. It's the judgment of sins. There's the judgment of sin, first judgment. There's the judgment of sins. And it says this, but when we are judged, we are chastening of the Lord that we should not be condemned or judged with the world. Our duty then as sons is to be self-judged. Judge ourselves daily. Confess our sins daily. And that averts the chastening of the Lord. And I just want to say this, and I'm going to say it real clear. If you're not in church, you're going to be too easy on yourself. That's why I preached like I did Sunday night. And some people got mad as a wet setting hen. And I lost about 10 minutes of sleep over it. Because I don't like to make people mad. But folks, I want to tell you something. It's the truth. And you know it's the truth. And the truth is families are falling apart because men won't be men. And men are a mama's babies. Don't marry a mama's baby. Amen? I believe you ought to baby your mama, but you shouldn't be a mama's baby. Because, folks, you are called to be a spiritual leader. It takes a man. 
But I want to say this, friend. Self-judgment is so necessary. As sons, we need it. But I want to say this. If you don't come to church regular, you're turning the alarm system to one. And you'll hear just a little faint buzz once in a while. Mm, that's, that might be bad. You'll hear the Holy Spirit whispering when if you come to church and you come to the Word and you come to prayer and you have daily devotions, it's like a loud sounding alarm. It's like you know, one of those car alarms go off. You're going to find your keys and you're going to get there and hit that button no matter what. But if it's just a little faint whine, you know, a little air coming out of the tire sound, you're going to say, oh, what, what? I ain't, ain't going to bother with it. I'll just, let it. I'll just let it whisper. And so, folks, turn up the alarm system through the Word of God. The Word of, the word of God, have I hidden my heart that I might not sin against thee? You ought to treasure the Word as a warning. I'm going to say this, I'll say it clearly. A man in the Bible committed adultery and murder because he was disobedient in the spring rains and his name was David. And he almost forfeited his life. And he had four kids die. And many blasphemed the Lord. Why? Sin of omission. Sin of omission. So just go ahead and treat church lightly. Just read your Bible when you feel like it because you'll never feel like it. Just go ahead and not pray. Shoot up a flare of prayer when you're in intersection think you're going to get hit. Instead of having a daily walk with God of abiding. The third judgment, that's the one I want to get to. And I've only got seven minutes to get to it. So we're going to have a good series here. The judgment of, the judgment of servants. We're servants. Believers are to do some work. It's a four-letter dirty word to the modern-day society. I don't, I, don't, I don't apologize for preaching that we ought to teach our children to work. I'm not saying on Sunday. I'm not saying get these uh, 995 jobs that will forfeit their whole future because they're never in church because they're, they're flipping uh, hamburgers. Well, i got to teach them character. Teach them character some other day besides Sunday. Amen? Because I want to tell you something. Sunday, they need to be in the house of God. Amen. Now work them all day Saturday if you have to, but praise God, they ought to be in church on Sunday. Because I'm going to tell you something, they're going to be old and they're going to work all their life, so while they're kids, they ought to enjoy being a kid. Say amen. Don't let them grow up too quick. Amen. We try to push our kids to be adults. But listen to this, man. Believers should be workers. The Bible calls us Servants. There's another word for that, slaves. But I don't look at it as a slavery. What I did last night trying to find a, a doggone leak in the front yard, that's slavery. Amen? Should have called a plumber. But no, I even had my, my sick neighbor get over there, and he was busting up the sidewalk with me. And I said, my wife just come out and just shook her head. Said, what are y'all doing? I said, we're going to find this leak. That's slavery. Praise God. Don't get into that stuff. Work for God. It lasts for eternity. Folks, when is the judgment seat of Christ? We'll go back to our text. Now little children abide in Him, and when He shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before Him at His coming. I'm going to prove to you the rapture takes place, the judgment seat of Christ takes place, and while the tribulations on earth down here, the tribulations breaking out, praise God, there, there, there we are up in heaven, judgment seat of Christ, and we're having the judgment of the seat of Christ for seven years. 
going to take that long. And there's going to be tears streaming down our face. And then during the millennial, we'll still not get over it. And then a thousand, seven years later, he's going to say, okay, that's enough. All the regrets because you didn't win your daddy the Lord, and your mama the Lord, and your neighbor the Lord, and you was a bad testimony to your uncle, that's gone. Or heaven wouldn't be heaven if you're going to regret all your life that they went to hell. But for a thousand, seven years, you're going to regret it. You're going to regret it deeply. Because you're going to actually see them at the end of the uh, thousand years, right? You're going to see them cast into the pit of hell. And, your blood, and, their, and their blood's going to be on your hands. Then God wipes away your tears. We ought to have tears now, so we'll have tears later. The judgment seat of Christ is in the air. When we meet Him in the air. And the basis of judgment is works. And the results is reward or loss. You can win, you can have rewards or loss. The judgment is future. I read this verse, 2 Corinthians 5.10, says we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive of the things done in his body according to that which he's done, whether it be good or bad, or whether it's worthless or whether it's eternal. Uh, when, it, when is this? The pronoun we occurs 26 times in chapter 2. In every instance, it means believer. So folks... It says, and now little children abide in him that when he shall appear, we may have confidence. Here's the judgment seat of Christ. Folks, we're saints and we face the judgment. And there will not be a judgment in the sense of a trial, but it's a judgment in the sense as an umpire or a, a, a person at a fair. When you knock one of those little things down, he says, you won that teddy bear. You won that... Uh, big old giraffe or whatever, uh, that's a judge. It judge that you did something, that you accomplished something. You won the race. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27 talks about the, in, the corruptible crown and that you shouldn't be a castaway. You shouldn't get out of the boundaries and there's rules and you don't beat it the air like some boxer that's not hitting anything. But there's certain, certain works you ought to do. It's the judgment for sin, but for works. It's for works. What works? Well, I'm glad you asked. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11 through uh, 15. It's up there. You just can't read it. Amen. I just, it's a good chart, though. I'll, I'll get you a copy of it that's clearer next week. Uh, I could not figure out how to work the copy machine this afternoon, and my secretary went home early uh, to buy a birthday present for one of our leaders. But look at this. 1 Corinthians 3, 11 through 15. Here it is. For other foundations can no man lay than that is laying, which is Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ. You won't be at the judgment seat of Christ unless you have Jesus in your heart. You've got to be saved to face this judgment. But look at this. Now, if any man build upon the foundation, here it is, you've got to build something. Gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble. That's, that's it. Folks, every man's work shall be made manifest. For the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. So the rapture takes place. The first thing you do is you face Jesus. And he fa you face him individually, and all your life is put before Jesus. The good, the bad, and the ugly, and the beautiful, and the glory, glory part. But it says, every man shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it. Because it shall reveal by fire. But look at this. If any man's works abide, there's that word abide. He hath built thereupon, 
he shall receive a reward. Isn't that great? Uh, some people say it's a crown. Some people say it's a jewel in your crown. But look at this. If any man's work shall be burned, it shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. There's eternal security, eternal life underlined. It says you're going to be there by the skin of your teeth, but you're not going to have anything to offer God. You say, well, that's fine with me. As long as I'm saved and in heaven, can't be any better. Oh, yes, it can. You ever been to a birthday party and didn't have a gift? How'd you feel? And everybody else had a gift? I was embarrassed one time because I couldn't afford a gift. And the, and the girl publicly said, Wayne, where's your gift for me? And I looked around and said, I didn't know you're supposed to bring a gift to a birthday party. I was a little slow. And I was a little broke because my daddy drank it all up. And I, I got so embarrassed as a tough 11 and a half year old, I started crying, slammed the screen door, and went home. I don't remember anything else about my childhood, but I remember that trauma. I was there empty-handed at the party. I had nothing to offer Santa. And she was in a wheelchair for her life. I could at least bought her a pillow. Come on. A something. Not being crass. Could have bought her something. A pad and pencil and paper. Radio. Headsets. Probably didn't have that back then. I didn't bring anything. So I went home, got mad at my mother, said, Mama, everybody else got a, got a gift. And she was embarrassed too. I remember she went in her little wallet. She got out $2. I said, that'll do. I went back there, handed her those $2. Ate more cake and punch than anybody <laughs> on those $2. Amen. Had a time of my life. Amen. Because I brought something to the party. And I want to tell you something, friend. You can say you don't want a crown. You can say that you just want to stand in the ashes. You can say that you just want wood, hay, and stubble. But when you read Revelation chapter 4, you'll find out that you're going to cast them at his feet. And you're going to give all your works and all your life back to him. Because he gave you the strength to do it. He gave you the ability to do it. He gave you the appetite to do it. And he died for your sins at Calvary. And judged your sin. And you judge your sins every day. And you try to stay right. But then you offer what God gives you. Some people have great talents. Some people have only one talent. But you give them to God and God multiplies them. At the judgment seat of Christ. Look at this now, verse 16. So look at that, so as by fire. That means you get there with no rewards, no, no, nothing. But if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. There it is. If you'll let the Spirit of God serve through you, folks, you will not suffer loss. You will serve you will suffer rewards. It's, it's the crowning day. It's called the Bema. That's what the word judgment seat means, Bema. And that's where the victor's crown was given to the person that won the race in the gladiator days. And, and folks, listen, the New Testament speaks of five crowns. Five crowns. Put that up real quick. And those crowns are, 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 are such a blessing that you can see them uh, and experience them and, and have a part in them. And I tried to write them out. You probably can't read it, but there's an incorruptible crown. That's the victor's crown. And folks, the Bible says that in James chapter 1 and 1 Corinthians chapter 9 that I just quoted about the victor's crown. That you have that, that victory uh, over sin, victory over self, and uh, you, you give to God. Um, and then you have the crown of glory, which is uh, the pastor's or elder's crown, chief shepherd. 
that you were not there for filthy lucre or wrong motives, but you served God for the right reason. Then the crown of rejoicing, that's the soul winner's crown. First Thessalonians 2, 19 and 20 says that you'll be the, the people you win will be your crown, your glory. Maybe they'll usher you to the uh, throne and say, he won me the Lord. Then you have number five, the, crown, the incorruptible crown. The incorruptible crown. And that's uh, sometimes referred to as a crown of rejoicing. That's the victor's crown. It's those that keep your body under subjection. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25 through 27. And we won't be ashamed at His coming. So let me just conclude this because our time's up. There'll be two crowds at the judgment seat of Christ. How do you know that the judgment seat of Christ doesn't take place when you die? And everybody has a little individual. If I was God, that's the way I'd do it. But I'm not God. And I want to say this. You're going to be passing the judgment seat of Christ the same time Stephen, the one who gave his life, will be there. And Paul, John the Baptist, uh, D.L. Moody, Charles Spurgeon, all these people that gave their lives on the mission field, Bill, uh, Bill Elliott, not Bill Elliott, <laughs> Adirond Judson, amen. I'm sure Bill Elliott got a crown, amen. Some of you race car drivers perked up then. I saw you lift your head up a little bit. Oh, Bill Elliott, yeah. What's his name? Jim Elliott, okay, thank you. Senior moment. Ain't got over digging ditches yet. But you're going to pass before the great judgment beamer. And folks, listen, I hope I'm a long ways down the line from Fanny J. Crosby that was blind and still wrote 7,000 poems and hymns. But look at Luke 14, 14. Luke 14, 14. God laid this verse on my heart. And I was praying it was the right verse. And it is. Luke 14, 14. When's all this going to take place? Look at it. Isn't this interesting? The study of eschatology, the last days. Luke 14, 14. I hope that's it. I don't have it written down anywhere. Luke 14, 14. The Bible says, and I'll get there in just a second. Here we go. It says this. And thou shalt be blessed, for they cannot recompense thee. But thou shalt be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. Now what's the resurrection of the just? Rapture. Our bodies in the grave, our souls in heaven. The moment you die, you either go to hell or heaven. Your soul, not your body. Your body's still in the grave. That's why you shouldn't go by the grave and talk to anybody. They're not there. That's an old worn out tabernacle. Amen? It's just bones and dust. Folks, if you want to talk to your loved ones, go to heaven. But folks, I want to tell you something. Uh, one day, that body is going to be resurrected from the dead, reformed, remade, glorified body. Go through walls in a single bound. Eat fish and honey in a single meal. It's going to be wonderful. Amen? Eating in heaven. Hallelujah. I'll fit right in. Hey! And folks, I want to tell you something. The resurrection of the just is the rapture. Then the dead in Christ will rise first. We which are alive may shall be caught up. So when we're going up West Emory, East Emory, whatever that street is, and all those graves rip up, rip open, folks, you've been left behind because the Bible says the dead in Christ shall rise first, but we which are alive may shall be caught up together to be with them the Lord. If you, if, when you're driving up Emory Street and those graves start ripping open and you think you're in some of those horror movies or something, but the rapture is taking place, you better pray. 
don't, you better not pray. You just better just look up for your redemption draweth nigh. It's too late to pray. It's too late to get right with God. It's too late to get saved. Folks, in a twinkling of an eye, one ten thousand seconds, General Electric says, you'll be caught up. That's where we get the word rapture, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. But then it says you'll be recompensed. The Bible says that you'll be ashamed or you'll be confident at His appearing. So the judgment seat of Christ, the judgment seat of Christ is in heaven. I'll give you next week the judgment of the nations on earth, and then I'm going to talk to you and preach to you about the great white throne judgment, the judgment of the lost. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this study. Lord, I don't know how clear it could be than 1 John 2, 28. There's going to be two crowds in heaven, ashamed and confident, weeping and rejoicing, thankfully praising God that they gave their life for eternity. And Lord, they invested their talents, their time, their treasures, and folks will be holding a crown clad with precious silver, gold, metal, beautiful jewels. They'll be glowing with the radiance of God and will not wear it and strut it around for a thousand years, but we'll take those crowns off after we're reviewed and say, Lord, everything I did was for you. And I know I didn't do as much as John the Baptist. I know I didn't do as much as um, Jim Elliott and others that gave their lives, but I was faithful. I was faithful. And Lord, may we hear not only that crown clinging at your feet or flying at your feet or floating at your feet. I don't know how it's going to be. I know it's going to be glowing at your feet. But God, may we hear the words, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Lord, I love that word faithful, and I've tried to be faithful over these years. I know I could be more faithful. And Lord, I love that word servant. I'm not trying to be a celebrity. I'm not trying to be the ruler and dictator of this church. I want to be the leader servant. And I want to lead your people to love to serve you. Not only in the fear of the judgment seat of Christ, but out of respect and love and appreciation the judgment of our sin at Calvary. So Lord, help us to be in that group that's not cocky, but that's confident that we did all we should and all we could until the trumpet sounds. May we be faithful until we hear the sound 